look at chapter 5, the latter part of chapter 5. Death in Adam, life in Christ. How important is this? Now, I have uh, here a list of uh, the world's most influential men. I guess you have the world's most influential women, but I've just got men up here at the moment. Sorry about that. So who are the world's most influential men out of, of, of all history? If you look on the internet, you'll get quite a number of lists of uh, the most influential men in the world. And uh, generally you find that most of them, uh, within the last couple of hundred years, I guess because we're more aware of people in the last couple of hundred years, but throughout all of history, uh, who would you choose as the two most influential men in the world? Now they, they put Jesus there, and of course even that is telling, because they don't say Jesus Christ, it is just Jesus. Uh, like, you know, he was a great teacher, but we know he was more than this. Okay, let's, let's, let's take it that, uh, that he was one of them. Is there another? Napoleon, Muhammad, Albert Einstein. Who would you go for? Winston Churchill? What do you think? Hitler. Hitler? Yes, he, he, was, uh, he was up there. But is he the one? Is, is he, would he stand aside, alongside Jesus Christ as one of the two most influential men concerning the human race? Darwin? Darwin? Oh yeah, very influential. But he's not our man. Marx, not our man. Martin Luther, not our man. All, all influential. He's not up there, by the way. He's not on that list. Ah, Queen Victoria. <laughs> Where was she? Number 12 you go for? Number 12? Oh, yeah, there's a woman. That's right. You're exactly right. <laughs> I'm looking for a man. Paul. Very influential, but not our man. Hitler, yes, very influential, not our man. John, he's not up there, by the way. This man's name is not there. Yeah, sorry about that. It's, he's somewhere else. Not there, very influential, but not the man. Holy Spirit, very, no, no. Newton, <laughs> come on, the answer's easy. Adam, said the man. Who said Adam? Yes. That's, that's our man. <laughs> he should have told us. I mean, look at the... Uh, death in Adam. <laughs> Life in Christ. He is our man, Adam. <laughs> and, that, and that is the subject of the fifth chapter. The last part of the, of the fifth chapter. The two men. The two federal heads of the human race. All of us were born into Adam. He was our head but we have transitioned to a new head. We have died to Adam and have been born again into the second Adam. Or the last Adam, better still. The second man, the last Adam. Well, we have our outline here. Uh, again, the introduction, uh, the second section, the text of the theme, we've looked at that. Uh, the text of Romans, then the uh, use of universal sinfulness, which we looked at this morning, uh, all guilty and silent before God, and now um, we need to go to the next one. The, the by, uh, but now, a by faith righteousness, we, we have looked at that, we looked at that last night. Now we're moving on to section six. 
So we did this by faith righteousness. Now it is union in Christ which I have called identification. That is what our section is about today. Now I need to go to our verse. Now we're going to be looking at verses 12 to 21 but before we get to that I want to look at a transition verse which we need to understand before we get to uh, verse 12 and that is verse 10. And verse 10 says, For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son much more. Now that we are reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Now that better reads, we shall be saved in his life. Most translations have by, but the word really is, the preposition really is, it means inside or within, or within the realm of his life. We shall be saved within the realm of the life of Christ. And that is why we call this identification. We are in Christ. Now that is, uh, we have made a, a movement from merely being justified. Remember we said, God justifies sinners. Uh, so we are justified, but we are still in our old state. We have believed and we have been credited with righteousness that is not ours. But there is more to the Christian life than that. And that's what we're coming to here. Hence, he makes this transition. We shall be saved in his life. The analogy, uh, it is an analogy in this text that is absolutely essential for us to understand. The passage is a new turn in the Apostles' reasoning. Arguably, it is the heart of the entire letter. So, 5, 12 to 21 is really the heart of Romans. That's why we want to look at it today. Alright, number two. Oh, sorry, we've got... Let me have a look here. One. My notes have been turned upside down. Um, where are we? Melbourne, number two, this is number four, it's number three. Sorry, I'll just have to check. Why have I gone to that? Oh, I think I know what has happened there. There we go. I took a, a sheet of notes out and didn't put them back. <laughs> All right. Remember we said God justifies the ungodly by imputing righteousness. But now that we have been declared righteous in a forensic sense. So this justification aspect of Romans is forensic. It is judicial. Uh, it is what the, what the court decides but it doesn't necessarily change you. So the robber uh, may be acquitted but he's still a robber. But we want to be more than a robber. We don't want to be a robber, do we? And that's what is happening here. We are moving on to actual righteousness in our lives. Well, we, have, we are going from reconciliation to salvation. Now, the next, uh, next passage is a long passage. This is what we're going to be looking at. And uh, we won't read all of that. I'll, uh, I will divide that up as we go along. But we have this passage... 
starting with, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. We want to look at the structure of this 12th verse. Now, I'll go back to that. The, uh, this 12th verse works on a structure of just as, so also. Now sometimes we use this when we are talking about something. We say, just as this happened, so also that happened. Yeah. Now Paul is using that, stru that structure. Just as, he says here, sin entered into the world through one man and death through sin. And in this way death came to all people because all sinned. And you're looking for, so also. But it's not there. It's not there. You notice if you have ESV or NIV, you'll have a dash. Or if you have a King James Version, you'll have a bracket beginning in the 13th verse. In other words, the, the Apostle has put something in there in a parenthetical way because he hasn't finished his statement. Now, remember that when Paul was writing, uh, he, was, uh, he was writing this in Corinth and he had someone writing the letter for him, a guy by the name of Tertius. So Tertius was his amanuensis, which means the man who actually wrote the letter. Yeah? So Paul was dictating the letter and, uh, and, and Tertius was writing it down. Now Paul was in Corinth, probably sitting in the house of Gaius, who was probably his host, maybe at the kitchen table, or maybe Tertius was at the kitchen table. Paul was pacing up and down. This was all in, in his mind, in his head. He knew what he was, what he was saying. He knew where he was going. But this is not an academic treatise. This is not a, something produced in a university. He did not sit there with a, a library about him. Uh, he, was, he was writing or dictating as his mind was working. So he comes here, it seems, and he says, because all sinned, end of verse 12. Then it seems he thinks to himself, now I need to explain this, because they may misunderstand what I'm saying. And so immediately he goes aside and he explains what he means by because all sinned. And that is verses 13 and 14. He makes an exp explanation of what he means there. And so on, uh, all the way down to verse 18. And this is where, I'll pick it up here, this is where we find so also. So if we read verse 12, Therefore just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death came to all people because all sinned. Now halfway through verse 18, So also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. Now the beginning of verse 18, it's really a recapitulation of what he started to say in verse 12. But he's come so far away from verse 12, he needs to sort of say it again. And so he does that at the beginning of verse 18 and then he finishes his statement. Just as, so also. So this is his thesis, if you like. Just as this happened through one man, so also something else happened through one righteous act of another man. Just as this came about through Adam, one act, so this came about through Christ, one act. Alright, let's look at the, the structure then of, um, of this a bit more closely. Um, so he says in verse 13, To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged where, against anyone's account where there is no law. 
Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command as did Adam, who is the pattern of the one to come. Now just quickly, I will, uh, before we look at that, let's look at the rest of it. So there, the, the section in blue, that's his explanation of the, of the expression, for all sinned. But he doesn't finish there. The green section is the explanation for Adam, who is the pattern of the one to come. So he, he, he does two, really, two little parentheses to explain what he's saying before he picks up his original message. All right, we need to go back and look at verse 12. Sin entered the world through one man. This is the explanation as to why the world is the way it is. Because sin came in. It, didn't, uh, it wasn't introduced by the devil, even though he was involved and implicated. It was introduced by a man, one man, Adam. Sin entered the world through this one man and, uh, and so he became uh, the originator of it within man, but of course it existed in Satan before this took place. The devil sinned from the beginning. Pride and self-centeredness is always at the heart as it was in the heart of, Lu of Lucifer, the devil. Now, when Adam sinned, something dramatic happened. Unholiness became part of the fabric of his soul from that day forward. And the, not all the acts of sin came through Adam, of course. Those who followed him, in turn, sinned. But he's not talking about our sin or our sinning. He's talking about this one act of sin by the man Adam. That is his subject. Remember, one act of the first man is answered by one act of the second man, the last Adam. Well, this is what we call original sin. Adam's sin. Adam's sin is the original sin. And whether we like it or not, we have been affected by that one sin and all have become sinners even though we may not have sinned, we nevertheless have become sinners. How do we know? He has his reasoning here, because we die. The soul that sins, it shall die. The unborn child, who has never had the opportunity to commission a sin, nevertheless dies. Now his reasoning, of course, goes back to... Um, uh, well, before we get to that, let, let's, let's finish this off here. Um... Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Not that the conception was sinful, but that sin started from conception. From that moment, those two cells came together, you have a sinner. The wicked are estranged from the womb, Psalm 50, 58. From the womb, from the very beginning. They're called the wicked, and they're estranged from God. The heart of man is deceitful and desperately wicked. So death entered the world through sin. Death was not natural to the constitution of man as created in God's image. Death is an invader and uh, an intruder. It has been imposed penally because of sin, because of Adam's sin. It has been imposed upon the entire race. The day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Or rather, dying, you shall die. 
and that has been an invariable law and principle in the human race ever since. Everybody dies. The soul that sins, it shall die. The wages of sin is death. Number three, death spread to all men because all sinned. As in Adam, all die. Sin and death therefore became, or came through Adam, not Eve. Now Eve was the, was the first one to sin. But had it stopped there, death would not have passed on to the human race because Adam was the man. Adam was the king, if you like. Now when God created the heavens and the earth, the very last act was to create the man. And the man was put in the garden that God had prepared. It was all for the man. The sky was, was created as a canopy for man, like a ceiling for his house. Everything was for him. Everything. And he had dominion over everything. But when he fell, when he sinned, everything fell with him. When the king falls, the creation falls. And the creation has fallen. It is now against man. It is troublesome. We have earthquakes, bushfires, floods, everything. Why? Because this creation has been disturbed and upset because the king has fallen. Like if you play chess, everything is fine until the king. When the king goes, it's all over. Yeah? Everything else may go, but once the king goes. So the king went. The king fell. The king became a sinner. This is why, by the way, Jesus was born of Mary, a woman, and not of Joseph, a man. Joseph was not his father. Yet, Mary was a sinner. As, as we see if we read the Magnificat, when she says, um, you know, my saviour, my redeemer, referring to God, saying, I also need a redeemer. She was not sinless Mary. And yet, she gave birth to Christ, the saviour. That holy thing that shall be born of you is, uh, is how he is described. To the serpent, God said in judgment, I will put enmity, a state of war, between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. That, that is called the proto-evangelism, evangelism, meaning the first evangel. I'm going to create this this enmity and, and there's going to be a war and Satan's head's going to be crushed. His heel will be bruised but his, Satan's head will be crushed. This is the gospel in my, uh, micro form at the very beginning, chapter 3 of, uh, of Romans. Solidarity in guilt implies solidarity in penalty. We are in solidarity with Adam because Adam sinned. And therefore, we are in solidarity with him as far as the penalty of sin is concerned. Hence, we die. If you're interested in figures, 55.3 million people die every year. That makes a lot of undertakers, doesn't it? 55.3 million people die every year, which is 151,507 every day. 6,316 an hour will die. One undertaker used to sign his name, sign off his letters, eventually yours, then put his name. So he had the one business 
that was going to keep on going. Never a downturn in his business. The antediluvians, now the antediluvians are those who lived before the flood. Yeah? They lived a, a long time. When Adam was 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness, after his image, his name was Seth. The days of Adam, after he fathered Seth, were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Adam, that Adam lived, were 930 years, and he died. Seth, he lived 912 years, and he died. Enosh, 905 years, and he died. Kenan, 910, and he died. Mahalel, 895, and he died. Jared, 962, and he died. And Enoch, 365, but he walked with God and was not because God took him. So he was the youngest man of the antediluvians. Methuselah, 969 years, and he died. The oldest man that ever lived. His life was right up until the flood. When he dies, it shall come. Hence, God stretched out the years in mercy, in long-suffering. Hence you see that in the age of this man. But he still died. And Lamech, 777 years, and he died. Hence it has been right throughout history. Everyone has gone the same way. Number four, the reason for all sin. Now I mentioned last night that it is aorist tense, meaning past happened at one point in history, has not been repeated, has not continued on. When it uses that tense, you're talking about one event. What is that one event? All sinned? That one event is when Adam sinned. He sinned and we were implicated, all of us, in that one sin, though we never actually committed it. A bit hard for us to understand how that, that this could happen, that uh, we can be implicated in what someone else has done, but that is precisely the case because this is the king we're talking about. For all sinned. Now, 13, 14. If you read the end of verse 12, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Now he's going to explain that in verses 13 and 14. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Adam was given a specific commandment and he broke it. Do not eat of the fruit of that one tree. And he ate it. That was a command. He transgressed that command. Remember, transgression is crossing the line. Sin is falling short, but transgression is crossing the line. He crossed the line. And the result was death. There were no commandments until Moses. That's what it tells us. Two and a half thousand years plus of history, no commandment stood. Therefore, sin was not put on the ledger, if you like. It was not recorded, if you like. But everyone died. That means, therefore, everyone were sinners. But they hadn't actually broken a command. And how come they were sinners? Because of the one man who did break a command. Our father. Our great forebear. The head of our race. His one act implicated us all and we all became sinners as proved by the fact 
we all die. Because death is the inevitable evidence of sin. Well, the same applies to the unborn child who dies. No opportunity to commit a sin as such, even though we know by nature they are sinners, even from the womb, but they still die. As were all these people up until the law of Moses, all of them died. Death reigned over them. Sin. So when, when did they all sin? Of course, it was when Adam sinned. Therefore, I've, we can say this. You are guilty of something you did not do and you will die for it. Can you wear that? Can you handle that? You're guilty of something you did not do and you will die for it because you are totally and absolutely, as a natural man or woman, identified with your great forebear. We are either in Adam or we're in Christ. There's no neutral ground in between. You're not your own man or your own woman. You are of Adam or you are of Christ. If you are of Adam, you will die. The next section. Now that next section, we're looking at verses 15 to 17. This explains another expression that he came up with. How Adam was a type of the one to come. So you notice at the end of verse 14, he says, Adam, who was a type of the one to come. Now he, again, he, he's got to think. Uh, do they understand what that means? So now he dedicates some verses to explain what that means in this next parenthetical section. Now, of course, uh, we, we think this is a strange way of writing, but again, we must remember, this is not an academic treatise. This is a letter, almost written on the run. He was an, a, a travelling apostle. And, uh, and as I say, he, he probably had a, a one or two books with him, and that was about it. And uh, everything he knew in his heart and his mind, he had worked all this out by revelation, this gospel that he preached. And so he was able to dictate it, but uh, he was still human, and he thought, well, I need to explain that. We, we, we would probably do it better, wouldn't we? You know, we'd... Uh, <laughs> well, you know, the rule if you're writing, if you're writing for a newspaper is, uh, you know, the headline tells the whole story. Then the first paragraph also tells the whole story, but a little more detail. The, f the deeper you get into the article, the more detail you get. So you can actually read a newspaper with, you know, at, at 10 feet, just looking at the headlines, and you get an idea of what it's about. And that, that's the, the theory that of newspaper writing. But, uh, but Paul, you know, was, uh, was writing a letter, and uh, he was speaking out of his heart, and, uh, and, uh, and he was, uh, you know, things were coming to his mind as, as he wrote. And so, oh, I must explain that. So here he is explaining this statement, how that Adam was a type of the one to come, meaning Christ. So, the second man, the last Adam, there are parallels and there are contrasts. So we can parallel Adam and Christ, but there's also dramatic contrasts between these two. Let's look at some of his statements. Each is the head of, of, the, of a humanity or a race, and, and in this sense they stand parallel to each other. The first Adam, uh, sorry, the first Adam was of the earth, earthy. The last Adam, Christ, the man from heaven. 
So this is a big difference. Adam produced an offense bringing a fatal result to his offspring. Christ brings not a penalty but a born-again life as a gift. Not just a reversal of the problem but something more. The first man, Adam, brings shame. The second man, Jesus Christ, brings glory and a superabundance of blessing or grace to men. The divine balance sheet is gloriously out of balance. Christ has not just reversed what's happened. We do not find ourselves in Eden, which would have been just a simple reversal. We are, we are citizens of heaven. Adam never was a citizen of heaven. Never. He was a man of the earth, always. And when we spent our days in Adam, that's all we were. We belonged to this earth. We had no citizenship in heaven at all. We had no connection to heaven. We were not in Christ, but we were in Adam. Well, we have been raised up with him and seated and he has seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Well, let's look at Adam. These, these are the sort of statements he has made. One man's trespass, many died. One man's sin brought condemnation. One man's trespass, death reigned. One trespass led to condemnation for all men. So I think we, we get the understanding, we get the drift of what he's saying. One man's disobedience, the many were made Sinners. You see the impact this one man, Adam, had on all his race. So therefore we could put it like this. One sin constituted many as sinners, making them subject to the reign of death, resulting in condemnation for all men. In Adam, you are condemned. Absolutely. In Christ, we have one act of righteousness which led to justification for all men. That act of righteousness was when he gave his life in obedience to the Father for us. One act. That's all. One act by Adam, one act by Christ. By one man's disobedience, the many were made righteous. Those who receive grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life. So we have one act of righteousness leading to many being made righteous, leading to justification of life for all men and an eternal reign in life. So remember, sin reigned over us. But here we are elevated to a place of reigning in life. Now that, that does not simply mean reigning in this life. It is reigning within the realm of life. Our reigning is in life, not in death. Forever. Yeah. Eternal. Eternal life. We shall reign in it. Now, note that when the human race began, it was one man. One man, singular, was the beginning of the human race. But when God created the animal kingdom, it was in tremendous profusion. Millions upon millions. Fish life, marine life, bird life, animal life. Not one, but tremendous numbers. Even when he created the angelic realm, they were created in tremendous numbers. There was not one angel from whom he took all the angels. No, there were many. Uh, if you read Revelation 5, it says, when it gives us the number of angels, myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. 
Do you know how many a myriad is? It's, it's in a number, you can't number it. A myriad is not a figure that you can count. And yet there are myriads of myriads of them. Myriads of myriads. Thousands upon thousands of angelic beings. But man is only one, just one, in the Garden of Eden. So we may object because of this and the fact that sin has come from this one man and then pins itself upon us. Um, we, we like to say, well, we're responsible for what we do. Not so. We inherit sin, the sin of Adam, and we also inherit its consequences. Now, if we think that is wrong, certainly to the Western mind it may be. I have a friend uh, that I, I've taught with for the last decade or so. Uh, he's uh, Samoan. He was born in New Zealand, but he has uh, Samoan relatives and he has a Samoan clan in, in Samoa. And uh, my friend Setsu went back, uh, he'd never been to Samoa before, even though that's where his family comes from. But uh, a few years ago, he went back to Samoa, uh, to his family, to his clan. And uh, he, um, they're all there. They had property in Samoa and, 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 a, and a very large you know, family, uh, extended family, as Samoans tend to do. And, uh, you know, he found lots of relatives when he got there. But when he arrived, he found a, a pretty dreadful state of affairs because what had happened was that someone from his clan had murdered a man from another clan or another village. And what he found was, having arrived, he found himself guilty of murder. He wasn't even in the country, but he was guilty of murder as were all of the men in his village and his clan and his tribe. So uh, what happened was that he, along with all the men, had to go to this village, where uh, the village of the victim. This was part of the, of the tradition of settling this matter because traditionally the Samoans regard the entire clan as guilty. Not just the man, but the entire clan is guilty of this murder. And that's not the only culture that they do that. So uh, Setu went with, with all the brothers and um, they went to this village. They came to the, uh, to the outskirts of the village. There they stopped and they bowed down to the ground and they put over themselves a, a, a thin woven mat, covered their heads with this mat. There they, they all were, bowing on the ground, covered by this mat, waiting for an acceptance and a resolution of their penitent state, if you like. Their expression of sorrow for what had happened. Taking upon themselves the sense of guilt for that one act by someone who, who was over there, you know. Some other man, not them. And they had to wait for the village after the, the chief indicated this was now appropriate. Then the men would come out and they would remove the mat from each individual. That meant it's settled. It's finished. We accept your, your penitent attitude. We accept well, what you have done. Now everything is normalized. Up until that point, it was not normalized. In fact, historically, it could go very bad. And it had done in the past. But since, uh, as they say, the light came, as the Samoans talk about, when the gospel came, uh, that, that tends not to happen now. 
In fact, the pastor in the village often will, will be the one to indicate now's the time to go and resolve it, take the mats away. So you see, it was, it's, for them it was not difficult to understand that one man can do something and it can make us all sinners. In fact, it could make us all murderers by this one act of this man. The case also is highlighted uh, with Melchizedek. Remember, Abraham met Melchizedek coming back from the slaughter of the kings and, um, and uh, he meets Melchizedek who is priest of the Most High God. Not an ironic priest, but someone who just comes out of nowhere. You know, uh, Neither beginning of days nor end of life, a type of Christ. This man who just appears. Abraham recognises him uh, for who he is. And he pays tithes of the spoil that he took from the slaughter of the kings to Melchizedek. And, uh, and the book of Hebrews tells us that Levi, who was the high priest of the Aaronic priesthood, in type paid tithes to Melchizedek because Levi was in the loins of his father Abraham, who was his great-grandfather, great actually. He wasn't even born. And yet he's paying tithes, according to Hebrews, to this priest Melchizedek. So you see this, again, the principle of identification. Um, how Levi was already identified in his great-grandfather Abraham. So this is not a foreign notion to culture or to scripture that this should, should happen. So therefore we can say, we did not commit the sin that results in our death. Neither did we commit the act of righteousness that results in our life. You see, this was all removed from us. We had already been made sinners. We never did it. Now we have been made righteous. And we did, never did that either. That was the act, the obedient act of Christ to give his life one act of righteousness, obedience to the Father, the giving of his life, the shedding of his blood, for one act of sin, the great and grand rebellion of man against his maker. What a tremendous thing that was. How could that be reversed? And not only was it reversed, but it was added to. We have not been returned, as I said, to the Garden of Eden. We have been admitted into heaven. Adam never lived there, as I said. We are not into utopianism. We're not going back to the Garden of Eden, as a lot of utopians want to do. We're going to heaven. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Two, we have the righteousness of Christ. Adam had his own righteousness and he lost it. We never had righteousness. Adam did for a time, but he surrendered it. But we have something better than Adam's righteousness. The righteousness of Christ has been imputed to us. We have been clothed with this. Isaac Watts wrote that hymn, Jesus shall reign where the sun. And he says in verse 5, where he displays his healing power, death and the curse are known no more. In him the tribes of Adam boast more blessings than their father lost. This is the much mores. And there's four, four times in this passage, he says much more, much more. This is not just going back to Eden. This is much more than that. 
much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness shall reign in the realm of life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Death reigned through Adam, but we reign through Christ. The tables have been turned. This is not, not so in, as such in this life, but reigning in the sphere of his eternal life. In the, um, the Old Testament, we had five uh, offerings. You know, the, uh, the sin offering, the burnt offering, the guilt offering, the grain offering, the trespass offering. Five offerings. They are all typical of the one offering of Christ. The purpose of each of them is fulfilled in the one offering of Christ on Calvary the burnt offering of worship, it burnt all night long, the aroma unto God, the sin offering uh, burnt outside the camp, uh, depicting the, the terribleness of sin, uh, that this, this uh, offering, offered beast should be burnt outside the camp uh, until it was gone. Um, well, we also have uh, this offering called the trespass offering. Concerning the unintentional sins against holy things or against people. And uh, this offering, when it was made... Uh, um, had to include uh, reparation or repayment of, um, of what had been done, for what had been done. But what was prescribed that there must be an additional 20% or a fifth. So if, uh, if I have defrauded someone $100, I must pay $120. So what is this fifth, this extra, this this which really is grace. And that's what we have here. It's not just back to Eden. It's to heaven. The grace of God goes over and above. And we have been become the beneficiaries in Christ of all this largesse, if you like, this extra, this fifth again of blessing in Christ. Um, the Apostle Paul is also, I think, an illustration of this. You remember how Paul said, uh, I, I'm not accepting, uh, I, 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 when I preach the gospel, uh, it is right for me uh, to be recompensed, for you to support me, for you to pay me for my work, for my effort in preaching this gospel. But he said, I don't have any choice about the matter. I, I have to preach. Woe is me if I preach not the gospel. This is my commission, I have to do it. But I want to do more than that. I want the opportunity to give grace. I want the opportunity to do the extra. And so he said, oh, well, I will not receive. I will not receive what is rightfully should be paid to me. No, I will not turn that. Why? So that I can have the privilege of extending grace because I have received grace. Hence, we have received more than Adam lost in this tremendous blessing of a heavenly citizenship and a heavenly identity in Christ. Amen. God bless you. That's it? Yeah.